Hi there, you're listening to the Speak On It podcast, a program facilitated by Youth Advisory Board members of the Steve Fund. The Steve Fund is one of the leading nonprofit organizations in the United States that promotes the emotional and mental health of students of color. The goal of this podcast is to create a space for students and professionals alike to come together to discuss a plethora of topics relating to mental health and the challenges that Black, Indigenous, and people of color may face during their academic and professional careers. Before we begin our conversation, we would like to leave a disclaimer that this podcast cannot and should not substitute a mental health provider. If you or a loved one need help, please reach out to your primary care provider or the Steve Fund Crisis Hotline, which you can access by texting Steve to 741-741. Thank you and enjoy. Hi guys, and welcome back to another Speak On It podcast with the Steve Fund. Uh, today, I will be co-leading a podcast with Danny on Blood versus Chosen Family. So let's meet our two wonderful panelists today. Hi, everyone. I am Thorin McKinnis. I'm a marketing manager and also a teacher. Um, thank you guys for having me today. Uh, hi, I'm Kia Darling-Hammond, a doctor of developmental and psychological sciences and a researcher who specifically studies thriving uh, and thriving possibilities in communities that are pushed to society's margins. Thank you for having me here today. And I'm Danny. I am taking a gap year between high school and college, and things I like to do include running and singing. And I'm also from New Rochelle, New York. And my name is Kaylin Huang, and I live in the Bay Area in California. And some of my hobbies include running and cooking. <laughs> so we had a pre-chat before where we talked about, I guess, a lot of topics surrounding the idea of blood versus chosen family. So we have a few questions that we've come up with. So the first one is, what is a chosen family and what is a blood family? Like, what's the difference? Why do we make this distinction? Okay, um, I will go first. I will say um, a blood family or your relatives, someone that you have blood connection with, basically, as it says, so your parents, your aunts, your uncle, and chosen family are the family that you choose. Um, those are persons that you want to be around. Um, you find some value, persons that can help you, you feel very comfortable with. So those are the people that you choose. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, to add to that, I think um, an interesting, you know, I, I have a family um, that includes also adoptive family members. And so we often discuss uh, family of origin, um, you know, so as opposed to just blood family, you know, there's the sort of the group of people who are responsible for your care, especially during your developmental stages, right? Your sort of early development, um, who I think is who we consider blood family um, uh, or family of origin. And then as Theron said, chosen family are the people who you build a strong kinship connection to, but who you selected, right? Who selected you, who you've built a bond with beyond the family of origin. And it's so important. I'm glad we're talking about it today. So I guess what needs can each kind of family fulfill? So the needs that, so for example, um, for me, um, when it comes on to my education and well, actually when I was in college, when it came on to my education and like monetary stuff, then my chosen family would help me. But when it came on to my emotions and things that I was going through, my family 
where they they do not understand, they don't know about it. So that's where my chosen family came in, where they helped me pretty much emotionally on a daily basis. They helped me um, on in the ways that I should go. So like different paths and everything. So I would say chosen family, emotion and um, blood family, financial and stability in some form. It's, of course, so important to have that stability and also to have that um, <clears throat> sort of emotional support. Um, it's interesting because, of course, our families are all different, but many of us are lucky enough to have a family of origin that does support um, our basic needs, right? Fundamental needs, clothing, shelter, food, and uh, to some degree, um, those folks are also responsible for shaping our identity, how we see ourselves and who we see um, ourselves becoming. And one of the really important things that I've learned about how Chosen Family operates in the lives in particular of LGBTQ and same gender loving youth is that part of what you get from a, this community outside of the family of origin often is a more accurate reflection of yourself and your possible self back to you. In other words, um, many of the young people who uh, I've built chosen family with have brought their lovers and partners home to meet me, chosen family auntie, rather than their parents, because their parents were not comfortable with their sexuality and or gender. Um, and so they were able to then um, see themselves fully as um, adults in their whole selves in a space where there was more safety around that. So um, that's really important. We all have to be able to uh, develop a strong identity. It's very protective, it's very important, and sometimes that can't happen fully in the space of the family of origin, you know, for a variety of reasons. So uh, that's another thing. And then to some degree, um, just adding to Theron, you know, some of the young people that I work with, some of the people who are part of my chosen family haven't been able to count on that stability from their family of origin. And so in our network, we have provided that to one another, emergency housing, financial support. I drove, uh, I've driven to college, moved people in, picked people up, been the one at graduation, um, had people living in my home, you know, those sorts of things. And so I think that, uh, this idea of family, which is sort of closer than friendship in many regards, it's closer than acquaintances, is really important. It's the people for whom you would do these extra above and beyond caregiving tasks um, and feel like that's really, really uh, warm and, and important. Something that really resonated with me was when you said that they can, they reflect back to you like a I guess, like a full version of yourself or like it, they kind of see you for who you really are in a lot of ways and like as an adult also. So like sometimes my parents can't really help but see me as like their child. So um, sometimes they can and sometimes they kind of like snap out of that but then they like snap back into the parenting role because that's very important too. And I think that having like aunts that I can talk to or my mom's really good friends that I can talk to that kind of see me as more of not even a peer but just like someone I'll, I guess just like another adult who can like make their own decisions and they're kind of just like giving suggestions instead of like being the one who's parenting or they can just like listen to my stories and not feel like they have to like kind of jump in and like fix something like they can just like listen and it's just nice to have people to be that you can talk to like that so I think that's a that's a big benefit for me of having chosen family. 
Okay, and for like, okay, so for example, for me, I broke it down in a couple of different things um, when it came on to benefits of having a chosen family. So um, one was um, creating my own traditions. So instead of going to the, for Thanksgiving, instead of going to that place that you really don't want to go see all of those people that you may have issues with, then you can have, you can do it with your chosen family. So there is just love and happiness and just creating new moments right there. Um, also talk about um, not, not um, working your health. So for example, um, some people, um, blood family is pretty much toxic. And in order to get away from that toxicness or toxicity, uh, you turn to your chosen family because these are people that you chose, you know them, you want to be around them. So these are people that make you feel enlightened and uplifting. These are people you definitely want to be around. So in that case, it's also very helpful. Um, and also it's about burnout because you know, a lot of things goes on and if you're burned out and stuff like that, you just want to be around people that you love and truly cares for you not there because they have to be because you're of your family because there's also a different feeling to that someone being there because oh they have to because they're your family or someone wanting to be there mm -hmm. would you say that your chosen family is similar to like your close friends in a way because i know that here in like california um people refer to their friends as like their brothers and sisters and they use it in like kind of a loose way, even though they may not be that close. So I'm just kind of curious to what your thoughts are on like the similarity. Okay, I would say it is similar in some contexts. However, um, chosen family for me is more important than friends because friends, you may not be able to count on them all the time, but chosen family, they are literally or in my experience, they're literally always there for you when you need them. Also, I just want to um, add something to what you said, uh, Kia. Um, when you said that um, your chosen family helps with your development, if they, let's say, if they didn't help with your development, would they just, would they still be considered your family? Like, and just like defining the word family or a blood family. So I think it's really important to avoid the idea of rigid definitions because each of us as individuals have individual needs. Our relationships can be very complex and dynamic. Um, I think what I see in general is that no matter who you're interacting with, it's having an impact on your development. <laughs> you know, everything you do in the world feeds information and data back to you and you feed back to it and that affects how it feeds back to you and so on. Um, developmentally, all of us will do identity work, right? But not all of us will have access to people who can see us separately from themselves, see us fully and reflect us back to ourselves so that we can form a strong identity. What tends to happen is young people who grow up in social contexts that don't accept their full selves, if they're very, very lucky, or maybe not even young people, though 
that's changed a lot. They will go out into the world at some point and start to find people who can see them fully and reflect that back to them. And that is important for developing a healthy identity, right? A sense of, of who you truly are, which is really important for all these other things. The other dimension of that is um, affirmative community, right? Somebody who affirms you, as Theron said, somebody who, you know, is there for you, is um, going to support the whole who you are, and that requires trust and to some degree desire, right? They're showing up for you because they want to be there. You're showing up into that relationship because it's where you want to be. Um, your, your family of origin can be that for you. It's, uh, and as Danny pointed out, sometimes that gets complicated by age and relationship, right? Sometimes parents have a hard time stopping parenting and, and sort of transitioning to the you being an adult. <laughs> um, as an auntie, as a chosen family auntie, I can tell you I've had similar difficulty. So some of the relational challenges that show up in family of origin can show up in chosen family as well. I got a, a really beautiful and loving, you know, course correction from one of my nephews the other day. And I was really happy that he felt comfortable saying that to me. Um, and sometimes close friends do feel like kin, right? And sometimes they really are there for you, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they can show up for you in some ways, but not always or all the ways that you need. But what it really comes down to is you, who are the people who feel like your anchor people in the world? Do they help you see yourself as precious and valuable and as having a future that not only they're willing to fight for, but that they help you feel energized to fight for. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if that's not your definition of family, that's also okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. And I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I would like to say one more thing. Also um, your chosen family, like for example, in my case, um, it helps you, um, can help you build or strengthen your community. Um, my first internship um, that I got was because of my chosen family um, when, I, when I was in college. So it also helps with that. Oh, okay. That's cool. Like the connections are built. Yes. I don't know. Because right now I have like my blood family and they're pretty supportive. And you guys are all talking about like chosen family. And I know that takes like time and things, but does that like develop over time? It, it develops over time. I'm correct. Okay. Yes, it definitely develops over time because more likely these are people that you don't know. So then it's different stage of a relationship. So you may just start off um, like just talking and then based on the connection and the desire, um, it escalates into something way more. Okay. Thank you. It's interesting. Um, a lot of young people that I've worked with, talked to, and done research with have found sort of, so it's fascinating. So some of them met people who became very, very close to them in high school or in elementary school. And some of those relationships persisted as kind of sister brother type you know, cousin type relationships into adulthood, but there is often a disruption of the social milieu right around college. And that's partly because it's also the moment when people leave this 
a very, usually a very finite community that they grew up in and go out into this bigger world where they're suddenly exposed to lots of new people and ideas and their identity development is also really like, you know, going, 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 going. And so there tends to be um, a shift in this sort of friendship relational space at that time in life. But for me, and I'm in my 40s, I have a small cohort of very, very, very close friends who I consider family. So much so that, you know, I have one of my close friends, um, if anything happened to her, her four children would become my four children. Um, That relationship took about 10 years to develop and it happened in our adulthood. And we happened to meet at work through somebody we knew in common. And it took a really, really long time. And so, and in fact, my other, one of my other very close friends, similarly, it took about 10 years for us to get to the point where we were like, hey, sis, you know, um, where some relationships can happen in a flash, right? Yeah. Um, so I think one thing to know is that you can't necessarily be like, I'm going to go create a chosen family. <laughs> I mean, you certainly could do that. But these relationships are kind of precious and special. And I think that you will find them, but they may take, some of them may happen quickly. Some may take time to sort of develop. That's because trust is a a factor. That's because life circumstances are a factor, busyness, stability, all these things. Um, But it is important, I think, to look for relationships where you can feel very, very safe and experience mutuality right what I do and what you do are mutually beneficial you can have trust and you can be anchored so that you can live the fullest life possible right and you can contribute to them living the fullest life possible yeah thank you for that one of our other questions was do you feel like you're betraying your family by I guess having such a rich relationship with people that you're not necessarily related to how do the people you're related to feel about this or how can you like manage that (laughs) or if they have any, I guess, um, qualms about it at all. Okay. So, um, I do have a chosen family and my chosen family and my family, family, my blood family, um, there is no problem in between both because, um, my blood family supports me in, one way while my chosen family supports me in another and both parties appreciate what each um, party is doing for me basically uh so uh like theron i am very lucky in that my family of origin and my chosen family have integrated well um and that may be in part because at the moment in my life when i was starting to develop a more dynamic sort of social network and being able to name queer family and chosen family i was much older than all of you (laughs) so i had a lot more authority about my time and my space and how i walk through the world and i had a lot more confidence about setting boundaries around my time and my space however i'm very lucky my family is very loving and very accepting. So I did not have um, difficulty being accepted around my sexuality. I didn't have difficulty um, creating space for the people who I was building into my life. Um, but I've seen different kinds of things unfold in different contexts. And this concept of betrayal is interesting, right? What does it mean to betray someone? I think. One thing that you seem to be 
calling up in this question of family of origin is, is it possible to love them effectively and also love other people effectively, even though you love them in a different way. And you're asking about the impact on your family of origin, their emotions and their feelings. There's a really interesting tension that will continue to arise between what other people need from you and want from you and what you need for yourself. And you'll have to navigate those things throughout your life. There is a real danger to not paying attention to and meeting your personal needs and especially around your need for belonging and your need for affirmation, your need to be loved unconditionally, your need to be supported and believed in, right? And your need to be seen fully for who you are because all of that feeds motivation, energy, spirit, health, well-being. All of those things are actually really connected to the point where um, there's, a, there's a physiological relationship between your stress and your mental health and your body, right? And joy and pleasure and passion and belonging can do like actual physical healing to a body that's been under tremendous stress. And so this is why this is actually so important in uh, queer spaces, right? Because the amount of uh, just rejection and abuse and strain that LGBTQ and same gender loving um, young people experience is just profound. So being able to find a place where you can land that's safe, where you're loved unconditionally is actually something that can save your life, right? So in that context, what the family of origin feels and needs, if it's in direct contradiction to what you need to survive and be well, doesn't matter. Does that make sense? So that's an extreme. At another level, a challenge you'll likely face is, can I get my needs met and help you get your needs met at the same time? And if the answer is no, that doesn't mean that your needs are not important. It means that you may have to take some space and distance to ensure that you can be well. And other people may have to adjust to that. It's really interesting because I think sometimes people will try to say like you, it'll be it'll be like kind of selfish I guess to try to um, just like distance yourself or to choose to spend more of your time with people who make you feel better about yourself. And I guess at the end of the day, like I know there's like this term or I guess there's a saying in Christianity like you can't pour from an empty cup, so you have to fill up your cup first and then you can like pour from it. So yeah, that quote kind of came up. Yes, and I agree with you so much because um, it's also um, also about being a little less lonely because you could be in a group, a group but you're still lonely. It does not necessarily mean being by yourself. You could be in a big group, but you are lonely because you're not connecting um, with anyone. And chosen family help you with that also. Yeah, I, th I think that's so true. Yeah, you can definitely be in like a huge group and still feel lonely. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's just the quality of the relationships. Because a lot of, I guess a good piece of advice that I've gotten is that like at least have like a few really good friends and then you're kind of like good. Because like having a small group of good friends, I guess is more valuable than having a big group of people that you don't, you're not really that close with or 
those relationships just aren't as strong. You can't really um, depend on them the same way. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Different levels of care. Like you have like emotional support or different levels of support. You got emotional support from your chosen family. And then like the financial and like other support can be from your blood family. And just what you said, meeting your needs in order to like, I guess, survive. And with the question of, is it selfish, uh, like not to be selfless? It's definitely not because it's your life and you have to like, you know, do what's best for you. Exactly, because you know what's best for you. So um, I know considering other people's feelings and everything, but at the end of the day, you have to do what is right for you to make sure there's a, a better version of you comes out of this. You have to make sure that, okay, for example, I know some people be like, oh, you're choosing them over me and we are blood or, what, or whatever the case might be. But you have to know what you want and you have to be with people that makes you feel comfortable, people that makes you feel better about yourself and people that can help you to get from point A to point B. Yeah, you have to just know what is best for you, essentially. So because I like to complicate things, I'm going to complicate this a little bit more. Oh, Lord. <laughs> We're all smiling, so thank you. I'm going to take that as permission. So uh, one of the things that is at play in the family of origin dynamic is, of course, that these are people whose identities are also really, really valuable and important. And to some degree, how you are in that relationship has an impact on their identity. And so there's this, this question of how you show up in relationship to others. And one of the challenges is around being able to be loving in a way that's not going to harm you, right? You can love yourself and love other people. And sometimes the way you love people uh, can be a little bit difficult, you know, for them. You know, some people think, uh, you know, it gets into questions of things like, do I tell little lies or do I tell the truth? Is it loving to be to obfuscate something or is it loving to be completely honest? The answer to that may vary depending on who you are and who you're dealing with. Um, and so, and there is something about respect, right? A person who has committed their life and love and time and resources to you, to your survival, to your success has made a tremendous contribution. And they're going to need to some degree to see that acknowledged. And that is actually really, really, really an important part of their emotional landscape, their identity, their health and well-being. And so you get to ask yourself in any relationship, um, how do I show up in this relationship with integrity? How do I walk in my own integrity in relationship to this? But also acknowledge that a piece of how I do that is making sure that I am attending to my needs and health and well-being, right? Healthy, happy, whole, contributing to other people being healthy, happy, and whole. Um, and just to complicate things a little bit, for me at least, being able to know what my needs and desires were was an evolving project over time. And some of how I learned how to discern what my needs were was because I was in relationships with people for who had done more work to know how to uncover and excavate those things or who uh, 
had a really, really easy sort of way of knowing exactly what they wanted and when they wanted it and didn't, you know, I grappled with that. Um, so that could vary, right? You know, depending on how you were raised and what, what your position in society is, you may have spent a lot of time subsuming your needs to the needs of others. You may have been like given lots of free range to know exactly what you want. Um, like a good example is physical affection. You know, if you grew up in a household where they told you you had to kiss your uncle versus they said, if you want to, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. That's going to have a tremendous impact on how you operationalize physical engagement throughout your life, right? Mm -hmm. um, so all of these things are... Um, I would say you want to really uh, pay attention to how you feel physically, um, what you're drawn to, what you're sort of repelled from, what causes discomfort and queasiness, and start to learn how to listen to that voice if you haven't already learned how to do that as you're figuring out what your needs are. And also attend to the fact that you're always in relationship with others and think about who you want to be as you engage and show up in those spaces yeah i mm -hmm. i think I, I can resonate with that i think it's also really difficult to know like your position in someone's life and like the impact that you have because sometimes you forget it because i know in the past i've had like like it wasn't intentional but it was unintentional like i didn't know how much i meant to a person and so sometimes whenever i would do something for me i would like be such i would be like shocked or surprised that like it hurt them that much it was like during high school and I, I guess I'm still learning how to realize that sometimes what I do, it's like people care for me much more than like I see it. Like, I guess I'm oblivious in some ways, but it's also really hard to acknowledge what's best for you while helping, while making sure that you don't hurt others in a way. So I think that like relationship and is. You're not responsible for other people's emotions or yeah. emotional landscape. So it is. And each of us is responsible for advocating for ourselves and making our needs known. You can't predict what somebody's thinking or feeling. The only way you can really know is if they tell you, and then hopefully they're telling you the truth, <laughs> you know, or at least the truth as far as they understand it. Um, it is possible to be inadvertently inconsiderate, right? And, you know, we, I've certainly done that. I might be doing that now. I can't tell, you know, <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, it's it's really possible. And so then, you know, then your intentions matter, then the way you show up matters, then being able to offer a good apology matters, you know, having open path, you know, an open line of communication, because people know that they can talk to you about their truth matters, those kinds of things start to matter. Um, but y your needs are your needs. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. Something that this that quote brought up for me was that like people have just like poured like their whole lives into you it's like that I guess is something to be acknowledged and to be like definitely appreciated and it's sometimes hard to see it because you don't really see everything that they're doing and you just kind of see like what you have to do but I guess my parents have always said like you'll understand like when you have your own kids kind of like how it is to raise up another human being so yeah. it, it kind of helps put things in perspective too a couple thoughts. Uh, one, uh, when people pour themselves into other people, that's a choice that they're making. Yeah. If somebody pours themselves into you without your consent, it's not quite your responsibility. It's complicated in the space of people who raise other children, like raise humans, right? That stuff is complicated because to some degree there's choice and to some degree there's obligation and that's moral and it gets really, really, really complex. But 
when you are conceived and born, that's a choice somebody else has made for you and brought into this world as a dependent small person, you're completely dependent, right? You don't get to decide, you know. Um, but as you get gain more capacity and autonomy and understanding, the, the dynamics shift in a way that most of us are really uncomfortable with, right? It's not like there's a rule book. Even developmental psychologists aren't quite sure how it all works. So um, this is, it gets muddled, right? Um, and it is beautiful to be able to be in gratitude for the ways that people have given to you and contributed to you, both because I'm making a moral judgment now, I think that's important, but also because being able to operationalize gratitude is actually good for you. <laughs> it's actually good for your brain and your body. It's actually, you know, part of how you can be well. Um, and at the same time, I have a friend who does this where she'll just, I was looking for a house. She heard me say I was looking for a house. So she decided she was going to look for houses for me. I did not ask her to do that. <laughs> and then she had spent hours and hours and hours looking for houses, and none of them were really of interest to me. And she was very upset because she had spent all that time, and uh, she, I wasn't taking her suggestions. Well, that wasn't really fair to me, right? Because if she'd asked me, I would have said, no, no, no. She wouldn't have wasted the time. And she wouldn't have attached an emotional obligation to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. People don't always communicate that clearly. So, you know, humans. Um, but so that's just to say that there are ways in which you may be held accountable for somebody else's choices that are not appropriate. They're not actually yours to take responsibility for. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Can you find the part where you mentioned the gratitude, though? I got lost. Like, yeah, so interestingly enough, if you, uh, so there's uh, some studies uh, where they looked at uh, the impact of uh, specifically uh, naming things that you were grateful for on brain health, right, sort of body chemistry, brain health. And what they found was if you can, you know, let's just say start the day or end the day every day naming three things that you're in gratitude for, right? I'm grateful for the fact that today I was able to eat when I was hungry. I'm grateful for um, Maureen sending me that spreadsheet that helped me do this project, you know, whatever. Um, if you can do that for two weeks, your stress level, your sort of body's stress markers will reduce and you can continue and that will persist over time. And so, and if you can build a practice out of it, it can actually have a positive impact on your brain and body chemistry. So uh, your, your body sort of uh, registers and holds stress in a variety of ways. Um, you can end up with uh, an overabundance of cortisol. Um, and this has effects on your endocrine system. It has effects on your nervous system. It can, it, in some cases, it can become very extreme and affect your capacity to, for cognition, right? Your ability to think and process new information, to remember, to, I have a member of my family whose stress disorder is so profound that it affected every system of her body, digestion, reproduction, everything. Um, and that's because her body chemistry was out of whack. Um, what's fascinating is, in less extreme cases than hers, there are these things you can do, mindful meditation, deep breathing exercises, um, holding, building a gratitude practice that can actually help rebalance, recalibrate your brain chemicals in such a way that they reduce the stress impact on your body. Does that make sense? 
Mm -hmm. And I'll, I can send you the very specific. I'm trying to speak in non-academic terms, but I will send you some uh, resources about that. Okay, cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I would love to hear more about that. I know it is a little bit off topic, but it can be really helpful, I think, to think about this in terms of family, especially nowadays. Well, a lot of us are like quarantined with our families, so it's always good to be reminded of all the things we should be grateful about about them. So I think, um, yeah, if we could even talk about gratitude, I'm open to that because I know I started a gratitude journal years ago, and I think it was like Buddha Doodles was the company, and it's on Amazon, and each page has like a quote, and you get to, and there's just like a bunch of empty space, so you can kind of write about. I guess, whatever you're grateful for. What are our, I guess, takes on what is a good gratitude practice to have? Because I felt like I would just write about something just to write about it. And I didn't really feel like I connected with it or I wasn't really as grateful for it. But I actually found one recently. It's another gratitude exercise. And I put a sticky note on my magnet board. And so every morning, I think I actually mentioned this on a previous episode, but I like this one a lot because I think it just shifts my whole mood. And um, one thing you're looking forward to, one thing you're proud of, five people you're grateful for, one thing you like about the way you look, and five deep breaths. And by the end of those deep breaths, I'm just already like, it feels like an emotional reset. So I don't even have to do like a whole meditation to just feel like, okay, it's okay. <laughs> um, so I just do that when I'm feeling stressed or just in the morning before I kind of take on the day. And it does seem to help. I think because it pinpoints things that I'm actually grateful for, like more of a genuine feeling instead of just feeling like, okay, I just have to fill up this space. Uh, okay. One thing is what you've just described is a series of, of practices, right, that are really, really robust and it's working for you, which is actually one of the most important things, right? So if you're going to develop a practice, it needs to be meaningful to you and it needs to feel authentic uh, and um, it needs to work for you, you know, so not everybody is going to meditate, you know, sometimes people are like, I can meditate for one minute, and that's what I can do. Okay, some people are like, I go on silent weekend long retreats and walk paths, and I can't do that, but they can, you know. Um, so uh, tips and the tricks, really deep breathing, everything begins and ends with breathing. I think it was, uh, I can't remember his name, but there's a pretty famous, uh, I think it's John Kabat-Zinn who said, uh, if you're breathing, there's more right with you than wrong with you, right? <laughs> so everything comes back to breathing. Basically, you're like above water. <laughs> Basically, right, you're still alive. And the quality of breathing matters. You may notice sometimes when you're reading a really stressful article or hearing something upsetting or worried or something that your breathing can become shallow or really that you're not really breathing very much at all. And paying attention to breath and bringing it back to breath and breathing deeply and being really conscientious about that is actually both really helpful for your body and your brain, right? Um, your brain needs all that oxygen to be able to function. Um, um, but also really helpful for, again, managing those internal processes, things like stress that can become very debilitating when they're not managed and they're not attended to. Um, so what you talked about, it's not just a gratitude practice, right? It's a gratitude practice, it's a self-affirmation practice, and it's a breathing practice. And I think those are all wonderful. All of that opportunity to be in gratitude, to uh, tap into positive emotion, to be affirmed, Often, that is what we find when we find chosen family, especially if we weren't able to find that in our family of origin. Um, 
And that actually is really, 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 as you can see how, I mean, your energy as you talk about this goes into bright sunshine level, like, like level 11, glowing, right? Look at all of this amazing, affirmative, inspiring, joyful, yes, right? That is, I think, often what we find and feel when we find somebody who becomes part of our chosen family. We glow together, right? They help us become more fully the best of ourselves, and we help them do the same. And that is not always something you can find anywhere else. Rosebud and thorn, a rose is something beautiful, a thorn is a pain and a bud is something you're looking forward to. So let's see, a rose this week was, I keep saying going for runs with my brother and I'm getting so repetitive, but it's actually so fun. And then a bud would be, I just got a new yoga mat in the mail from Gaim and it has like a big wave on it. And I didn't realize that the one I was using before was kind of like, I guess like average, but this one is like so cushy. It's like a premium yoga mat, so I'm very excited for that. And then a thorn from this week would probably just be, I guess like the heat. So I'll go next. I'm um, real. Rose of this week. I had many roses. Um, it was my best friend's birthday, and I've been quarantined. I've literally been inside all this time since March, and I decided that I was going to drive to PA. So I I rented a sports car. I didn't even drive my car. I rented a sports car, and I went down there, and I saw her and our trap. We have a traveling pack of four because we always travel together. So all four of us was there. We had really good time. Um, so that was definitely my rose. And my another rose is um, Danny. Um, what, a couple of days ago, I was on the phone. I was talking to your mom. She was helping me through some things. So that was really good as usual. And so, but um, for next um ne well, this coming week, I want to go see my niece. I haven't seen her since um, the quarantine. That's one of my favorite persons in the world. I haven't seen her in so long. She loves me. And Torrance, um, mm, interesting. Well, Corona, of course. Um, I would say that is like my torn because I like to be out. I'm a very outdoor person. And I, being inside, it just, and no tennis. Danny, no tennis, no minty, no nothing. So yes. Um, I guess I'll start with a thorn. A thorn. Okay, aside from college apps, I guess it would just be the heat. <laughs> um, a bud, something that I'm hopeful for. I started this new like workout program and I'm kind of looking forward to like completing it. It's like a two-week thing, but I've done it before, so I'm excited. And then a rose would be, it's a small thing. I got to make boba with my sister last night because she wanted to like make boba. And then I played Minecraft with her, which is kind of fun. So <laughs> reverting back to my fifth grade ways. But yeah. <laughs> I um, moved into my new house this week. Uh, not fully, but yes, thank you. <laughs> but managed to get the movers organized. It's a lot. It's been so many details. So it was really lovely to be able to um, be in the new space. My favorite part of that, though, is my nephew, who's two and a half, uh, visited. And he just 
excitedly ran around the house and into every room chattering, you know, and like baby Gab. And he just was like, so loving the whole house. And I think what he was saying is, I can see all the places we can play here, you know, because he would like, run and do this thing. And he'd be like, yeah, it was amazing. So he blessed the house. And uh, I was probably the highlight of my week. Um, And it felt like, you know, yes, I made the right choice, which it's a big choice. Um, I would say the thorn, the thorn and the bud are the same for me. Because we're in this moment of profound difficulty, right? There's a pandemic, there's global unrest around, you know, the persistent centuries-long anti-blackness and white supremacy we've been grappling with. Um, I, I feel as though the, the way the pandemic forced us to stop doing all the things that were business as usual and disrupted our patterns um, in combination with this tremendous, uh, you know, movement of the people saying enough is enough is extraordinary. And at the same time, it's so profoundly dangerous and uh, so scary. You know, we are in a moment where people are dying. We're in a moment where people are putting their lives on the line in order to not have to worry about dying. Um, and I, I think, and you know, I used to be a history teacher, and I, so I've sort of studied history and movements. I actually think this is actually a critical moment. This is going to be one for the books, if we even have books, because also the earth is dying. So I'm just sort of like, you know, it's just this really complicated emotional stew of possibility and, you know, also the possibility of disappointment because um, the, the pull to the status quo is powerful. So those are my, both my bud and my thorn. I'm like, oh gosh, it's so scary right now. And also very, very hopeful. Mm-hmm. And that's all folks. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To continue the conversation, check out the Steve Fund website for blog posts and summaries of our podcast. While you're there, feel free to also explore different programs, initiatives, and events that the Steve Fund has coming up. If you would like to leave any future topics or themes for us to discuss, or even a comment, feel free to email us at yv@stevefund.org. Thanks, and until you tune in again, be safe and be well.